Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews 10, as we take the first 18 verses, as we continue our study through this incredible book, and as we begin to come to this chapter that many in the body of Christ are familiar with, chapter 11, the the hall of faith. But before we get there, the writer of the book of Hebrews addresses something that is so important for us as the body of Christ, not just for those that were Jewish believers, written to during the time uh, that we would say is the generation right after the Lord departed to heaven, but really for us today. Because we are prone in our lives to rest very often in the past, and very specifically our memories, the things that we have laid hold of. And sometimes we would call that something as simple as our traditions, or or the things that we would look at as our heritage, or even our culture. We are prone to lay hold of those things instead of the things that the Bible teaches us plainly and clearly. We like our traditions. We like our memories. And in fact, our memories can be either very warm friends, they bring that warm and fuzzy feeling, and they can also be very cruel taskmasters, can they not? Sometimes memories are not a good thing. For the children of Israel, those memories had become something very dangerous. They were still resting in their heritage, still resting in their tradition. Maybe you're here today and you're resting in the heritage of your family, perhaps your culture, maybe your race or ethnicity, maybe you're resting in something other than Jesus. This passage is for you. We'll take the first 18 verses here in Hebrews chapter 10. Would you join me? We'll pray. And we'll pick up in the study that I've entitled, One Sacrifice for All. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the beauty of that sacrifice that Jesus made that actually brought forgiveness of sin. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here today, someone watching online, someone who will view this later, pick it up on a YouTube channel, somehow hear these words. That, Lord, whatever thing they're trusting in that is not that all-sufficient sacrifice that you made on the cross, Jesus, that they would lay it down, that they would bow their knee, and, Lord, learn of you. For you're meek and humble, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Lord, speak to us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Hebrews chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come. Now you read that word shadow and probably immediately just translate it in your mind as a literal shadow. The inference here in the original language was actually not so much a shadow as it would be a tracing. 
Very often when an artist is going to make a very large-scale painting, they will actually do a pencil or a chalk outline and make a little bit of the painting underneath the paint itself. A shadow. Something that is going to be actually a fairly direct representation of that which will follow, but it lacks all the detail. It lacks the color. It lacks the finished work. It looks like what's going to follow, but it is not the finished product. Not the very image of things. It can never be the same as sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year and make those who approach perfect, for then they would not have ceased to be offered. And so the picture here is going back to the Old Testament system, the sacrificial system that was ordained of God, given to Moses. The Jewish people were actually being very faithful to what they had been told to do. The problem was it could never actually perfect you. It could point you the right direction. You see, church can't perfect you. Church is incapable of perfecting you. Only Christ can perfect you. Coming to church won't get that done. It can point you the right direction in much the same way that the Jewish people relied on the temple and the sacrifices and the feast days and the beauty of all that was Judaism. But it couldn't get you to the desired end. You ended up short. And so those sacrifices had to be repeated over and over and over again. Every year, the exact same sequence. In fact, the Jewish calendar was tied to the law. The feast days, the sacrifices. So every year, same time, those 10 days of awe. It would happen in our October culminating with Yom Kippur, that one day every year where the high priest could enter in, go behind the veil. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible, underline that, It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. It's not possible that your philanthropy can take away sin. It's not possible that your Christian nationalism can take away sin. It's not possible that your racial association and identity can take away sin. It's not possible that your church attendance can take away sin away sin. It is only the blood of Christ that can take away your sin. Amen? And the reason I'm phrasing this this way is we all have propensities to hope in something other than Jesus. We put our trust in people. I know people that believe they're saved because they went to a specific church. I know people that believe they're saved because they listen to a specific pastor. 
You are saved by Christ alone, through faith alone, and nothing else. That was the picture that's being painted here. That's the behind-the-scenes pencil sketch that's happening in this passage. You see, the Old Covenant contained the requirements of the law, and they were good. Designed by God, instituted by God, ordained of God, done with the very best intent by the Jewish people, they, they truly had a heart to follow after God. It, it, we have to be very careful to not dismiss the beauty of the Old Testament law and what God intended for the people and what many people actually did. But they fell short. The temple became a center of worship. In fact, the temple itself became, to some, their salvation. They began to worship the temple itself. And so this sketch that God had drawn for them, this shadow, this painting, a metaphor, if you will, which was intended by God to draw them to the place of faith, had drawn them to trusting in a building. Trusting in people. Trusting in certain sacrifices done on certain days. Trusting in the blood of bulls and goats. And so the writer of Hebrews says very plainly, that could never save you. Let's be really, really careful here and also very specific. When you travel with us to Israel, one of the places we go is to the Israel National Museum And there is a scale model of Herod's temple. Now, this was actually built by an archaeologist using the writings of Flavius Josephus, Jewish revolt coins, and a whole bunch of extra-biblical sources to come up with this particular model. But this was a beautiful place to worship God. Now, imagine it built by King Herod. Originally, it was Solomon's temple, which followed the old temple, the rebuilt temple that was finally rebuilt after the children of Israel went off into captivity to Babylon. And so here's this kind of pathetic thing that was built by the children of Israel when they came back after captivity. And so Herod expands it and builds this massive edifice on the Temple Mount. That building was 180 feet tall. It was roughly 90 feet wide, square, and divided in half, the holy place and the holy of holies. The courtyard, this thing is massive. You're looking towards the west. So the western wall that the Jewish people worship at today is the outside wall because that building is facing east. If you know your Bible, where is Jesus coming to when he comes back? He's coming to the eastern gate, amen? So the sun rises and fills the temple. This thing was amazing, It was gilded with gold in in places, and so when you saw it shine in the sun, I mean, who wouldn't want to go to church there? Amen? So, yeah, man, you see our church? (laughs) The problem was they began to worship that. They worshiped the system. They weren't worshiping the true and the living God. They were trusting in the sacrifices themselves. So there is, in that sense, a problem with shadows. 
The shadows can't get done what needs to be done. Your good works can't get done what needs to be done. No amount of you dying to self will actually accomplish what needs to be done. Dying to self is what you do after you've been saved. You can't die to self to be saved. You can't do good works to be saved. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and nothing else. And so the building, in that sense, becomes unimportant. It's not inconsequential. You want to go to a good church. I I pray you're here because we teach God's word in this church. I pray you're here because we worship the Most High God. I pray you're here because we're missional. And we seek to actually go out and fulfill the Great Commission. I pray you're here because part of that Great Commission is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all things as I have commanded you. You want to go to a church that does that, but just doing those things cannot save you. There's one ingredient that's left, and that ingredient is faith. You're saved because of faith. And without faith, it is, as we shall see, impossible to please God. And so the shadows, as beautiful as they were, every single sacrifice got repeated over and over, year after year. And in fact, it would be a perpetual reminder of their guilt. Every year, those that could make it to Jerusalem would come to the temple And they would see that temple and they would recognize, I need Yom Kippur. I need an atoning for my sins for this year. I need that priest to place his hands on the scapegoat and send the rest of them out into the wilderness. I need God's mercy. You see, everything that was there was a wonderful picture of what was needed. The problem was what was there couldn't give you what you actually needed, which was forgiveness of those sins, so that you wouldn't experience guilt. Anybody thankful that the blood of Christ cleanses you from all unrighteousness, amen? You've been forgiven. Your sins are actually expunged. God doesn't remember them anymore, and we're going to look at that at the end of our time today. You see, we no longer settle for that Shadow, that weakened vision, if you will, that pencil drawing. I don't know how many of you do this. There are some of us that our refrigerators are actually hard to find underneath the post-it notes and magnets. But they're on your refrigerator. Things, they're usually reminders of things that matter to you. Can I tell you that an awful lot of Christians put reminders of their sins on their fridge? It's like you dredge up things that God's already forgotten. He's forgiven them. You've been cleansed by the blood of the lamb, but you're still putting fridge magnets up. Be really careful because there's a couple of things. One, that guilt that you feel is from the enemy. He's trying to paralyze you with fear. And it also diminishes the grace of God. When you go back to that which you've been forgiven from constantly and consistently, and I'm not talking about repetitive sin that needs to be confessed. I'm talking about you going back to that place where God's already delivered you. He set you free. 
you see, you're now forgiven. Your sins have been forgotten. So please stop wallowing in your guilt and your self-pity. There's no longer a need for that when you live under the new covenant. Confession, yes. But when you confess, 1 John 1, 9 says, He is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen? There was a picture of that through the Jewish system, through the law, through Yom Kippur. There was a beautiful picture of it, in fact. Almost every step was very clear. The pencil drawing was on the canvas already. But they stopped and worshipped the pencil drawing. You see, ultimately, God wanted obedience. He didn't actually desire the blood of bulls and goats. He desired transformed hearts, hearts that were soft towards his calling, lives that were transformed and beautifully in alignment with his will. He didn't desire for people to just simply understand, well, I can sin all year long and then go get it squared away at the end of the year. He wanted obedience year round. He didn't desire for another innocent animal to die. He desired for our lives to be so guided by the Holy Spirit that there would be no sin throughout the year. That we would live as close to sinless perfection as we possibly could. Verse 5, and therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Pretty plain. And then I said, Behold, I have come, for in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. When Jesus came, do you remember what he prayed? It was in the garden. Father, nevertheless... Not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus was obedient to the will of God the Father. And that's what he wants out of us. It's what he wanted out of the Jewish people. And it's interesting, when you read the history, which we are going to be going to the book of of Joshua here shortly on Thursday nights, the problems always came when the children were disobedient. Amen? It wasn't because the sacrifices were wrong or insufficient. The problem was always obedience. They would be meticulous with the sacrifices. In other words, meticulous with their church attendance. Meticulous with their doctrine. Meticulous with following every yacht, every tittle. They had their punctuation correct, every I was dotted, every T was crossed, religiously speaking. But their hearts were a long ways from the Lord. It was outward, it wasn't inward. And so God says here very plainly to the writer of Hebrews, I would rather that you not sin in the first place. 
It's not an external thing. It's an internal thing. As we just saw in the book of James, where do wars and fighting come? They come from within you. You desire and do not have. You lust and cannot attain. You see, mankind's problem is not the world we live in. It's the heart that beats in your chest. It's you. You're the problem. I'm the problem. Collectively, we are the problem. It's not just that the world is evil. That's why reforming this world is not a focus of Scripture. You realize that? We're supposed to be salt and light, to be sure. But nowhere does Scripture teach that we need to go out and reform the world. We need to go out and seek and save them who are lost. Because the problem is the heart. It's not governments. Governments are a result of wicked hearts. Amen? If you change the heart, the government goes to the heart of the people. That's what happened in Israel. The reason that the kings did what they did is because the hearts of the people were inclined to evil. And so the king just said, I need to get reelected as king. And I'm being a little metaphoric here. I want to keep my job as king. And so I'm going to make laws so that it's okay for them to worship Baal. In fact, I'm going to worship Baal as well. And so the government represented the wicked hearts of the people. So if you want to change government, change the hearts of people. You will never change the hearts of people by changing government You need to change people. The people can then change government. That's God's position on this. The Jewish people knew this well. They had lived for centuries trying to square away the culture in which they lived. And what happened every single time? They ended up getting caught up in the culture that they lived in because they weren't paying attention to the right thing. They were looking at the wrong thing. Instead of looking inwardly at their own wicked hearts, they were going, well, if we just have this law, or we just do this thing. Let's not make that mistake. God desires obedience. He wants us to actually be like Jesus. Not live in a country that has some type of Christian value. That will come when people are being like Jesus. The Old Testament sacrifices only became necessary because God's people didn't live up to the standards that God had set for them. Remember, initially, Moses brought down just the Ten Commandments, amen? But what happened when Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments? The people were already jacked up, right? They were already a mess. They were already, he's coming down with just 10 things. That's it. Five that were Godward and five that were manward. That's all. And that didn't work. Not because of God. Because of the wickedness of man's heart. It is our highest privilege to do the will of God. And so in order to bridge all of this stuff, Jesus becomes the final sacrifice. 
He finally does what couldn't be done through endless days of atonement. Notice verse 8. Previously saying sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you do not desire for you had no pleasure in them. But I've come to do your will, O God. And he takes away the first that he might establish the second. Well, why would God say that? Because the first couldn't get the job done. Not because God was wrong, not because it was insufficient in what God had done, but on man's side, man turned it into religion. We're going to do it our way. We're going to do it my way. And if you look at the key Levitical sacrifices, and we'll do this just very briefly, remember that you can go to our website and download these slides directly to your phone. You don't need to pull all this stuff up. But I've done it just for reference for you. When you look at what God did for the Jewish people, he, in essence, covered everything that needed to be done. Voluntary offering. You need to be devoted to God first or none of this matters. Amen? So God says, look, let's make sure we offer the burnt offering. So when you came into the court of the temple, the first thing you come to is the altar of sacrifice. So was God being truthful with the people? He says, look, we got to square away first, you and me. The second thing, voluntary offering. You need to respect him. I mean, you can recognize that he's sovereign and he's the king of the universe, but if you don't respect God, if you kind of go behind his back and do your own thing. So a voluntary offering was saying, okay, well, not only do I recognize who you are, but internally, I'm going to honor you because I volitionally want to honor you. Fellowship offering, it's the same thing. If you want to have a relationship with somebody, that's voluntary, amen? Someone can just be your superior and you have to answer to them. If you have an employer that you work for, you know this. Here in this country, if you're in the military, we have one commander in chief. You automatically have to listen to the president or you're insubordinate and could go to prison. You see, God could force you into doing that, but he wants you to do it voluntarily. So the Levitical offerings included, volitionally, I want you to make sure that you're just devoted to me because you want to. And the sin offering has to happen. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the guilt offering, same thing. Why? Because everyone has sinned. There is none righteous, not one. Amen? So the Jewish sacrificial system took care of all the points. It was perfect in that regard. It got the things done that needed to be done. The problem was not the system. It was the people that upheld it. That's why we need to continue to grow in our holiness. Verse 10, by that will. What will? Refers back to verse 8, which is a a quotation from Psalm 40. I delight to do your will, O God. By that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, underline it, once and for all. What couldn't be done through all of that blood and all of that toil and all of that sweat and all of that meticulous anguish over the most minute of details. You know, there's a reason that Jesus said to the Pharisees, you strain at a gnat, but you neglect the weightier things of the law. 
he would further instruct them, why don't you remove the plank out of your own eye before you consider the speck that's in your brother's eye? These things are showing that there's a problem when you trust religious systems versus relationship with the God who made them, you're in danger. We have to trust the Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Church is not my Savior. And because Jesus is my Savior and Jesus is my Lord, I want to do what God wants me to do. I have a desire to walk in holiness. You see, if you do a quick study of the pagan gods of human history, You don't have to go very far. Go to the Greeks, go to the Romans. You're going to find that they were bloodthirsty. They were warlike. They were capricious. They were perverts. They were self-centered. They basically lived on Mount Olympus, in the case of the Greek gods, for their own pleasure and desire. It's just like, I'm going to mess with the people. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus left Mount Olympus and came and dwelled with us and became one of us to save us. And he offered his life in your place. So why would you not want to grow in sanctification? Why would you not want to grow in holiness if he descended from his heaven to our earth so that you could be free from the bondage of sin and death, why would you not want to be as much like him as possible? Church, our whole goal is to become a little more like Jesus every day. That's it. You want to know what your mission is? If you'll just become a little more like your Savior every day. If you'll get on his task list If you will do what he prayed, which is, I have come not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me, you're going to be on the right road. Because you actually are on mission, and you're in the mission field. You're on it right now. Because you've been made right with God through what Christ did on the cross. That's already done. Doesn't need to be done again. Jesus does not need to go to the cross again. What he did, notice what it says, once for all. And because of that, you and I are called saints. Saints are not, are not super worthy individuals who did extraordinary things and perhaps did a miracle or two. Saints are anyone who is on the path of sanctification which would be the entire body of Christ. You are the holy ones in that sense, the hagios. Every believer is actually a saint. I am actually Saint Jeff of Lomita. I have my own medal. I got my, no, I don't. I'm Saint Jeff. That's how God sees me. I have been placed in Christ Jesus The completed work of the cross, the righteousness of Christ, has been placed in my account. My unrighteousness has been covered by the blood of Christ. And so God sees me as one of the holy ones. That's nuts to me. 
It's crazy. Because I see me. God sees Jesus. Don't forget that. When God sees your life, he sees the sacrifice of his son. If you have believed on his name, the righteousness of Christ is the visible representation that God the Father has of you. So live like it. That's what sanctification is. It's you agreeing with God and saying, that's who I am, I want to live like that. That's why that work is complete. That's why it says very clearly here that this man, referring to Christ, offered once and for all a sufficient sacrifice for all of your sin. I get into debates with people frequently and often about this issue. It's like, well, God can forgive everything but, and then they have a list. And while I understand humanly why they even have those lists, Praise be to God that those lists are false. There's nothing the blood of Christ can't forgive, and it includes all the big things. If you will confess, he will forgive. If you'll invite him in, he will be your Savior and he will be your Lord. Amen? There's no one that's outside. Every murderer has hope in Jesus. Every homosexual has hope in Jesus. Every child molester has hope in Jesus. Every warlord in Africa has hope in Jesus. Every gang member in MS-13 has hope in Jesus. You just plain have hope in Jesus. Amen? Why is that important? That's not some trivial thing. Because if there isn't hope for the murderer, there's no hope for me. Because Jesus said, if you harbor hatred in your heart, you have murdered your brother. Why? Because the issue isn't the magnitude of your sin, it's that you are a sinner. Amen? It's not how many murders you've committed, it's the fact that you're a murderer, period. And that's got to be dealt with. And then when you break down what Scripture actually says, the last admonition of Scripture is all liars will not inherit the kingdom of God. You better hope that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for all liars. Amen? Just saying. Because all y'all ain't telling the truth all the time. Amen? We, we need to be on the same page here, church. Why? You can see, you can say, well, I'm not a homosexual. I'm not a child molester. I'm not a murderer. I've never robbed a bank. But you're bitter and you're angry. You're mean-spirited and you're a gossip. You're a slanderer. You tell stories about your brother. You have hated someone. And oh, by the way, you've lied to cover it up. So you better hope that that sacrifice was once and for all. Amen? When I read this passage, I am so grateful 
that what is in it is there. Verse 13. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. One day King Jesus is coming back and the devil's going to get kicked in the teeth. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are, and please underline this word, it's accurate in the original language, being sanctified. You are being sanctified. You're not fully sanctified, you're being sanctified. It's a journey, it's a process, it's a lifelong endeavor. And one day when the Lord comes, the job's going to be done. In the meantime, we got work to do, church. Some of us more than others. Some of us are at the beginning of the journey and some of us are near the end. But the fact of the matter is, I am being sanctified today. And there's work still to do in your pastor. Your pastor is not done cooking. I'm still in the oven of holiness the ingredients were placed by Christ, but I'm still not quite fully baked. Being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us that after he had said as before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, Says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and in their minds, and I will write them, and he adds their sins. Oh, church, you want those laws internal, but if you haven't highlighted what follows here, please do so now. Their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. That's what God says about you in Christ Jesus. That, that's not a you going to temple thing. That's a your body is the temple of the Lord thing. That's a who you are thing now. And to that end, we can praise God for his forgetfulness. Now, normally that's not a good thing, amen? For those of us that have a few more years on us, we kind of fear that forgetfulness. You know, you're, you're standing there, you're having a conversation with somebody, you know, you know, you absolutely know that you know their name. You're like, hi, brother. Or in my case, you start digging into your filing system in your mind looking for a fact or a figure or an address of scripture or some other detail of life and you know it's in there and you're like mm, I've got a hard drive error right now there is no recall of that information available please dial again later you know what I'm saying now, I don't know how many of you are of that age but you're going to get there and when you do, it's not necessarily a good thing that you can't remember what you had for breakfast, okay? But God's forgetfulness for the believer is perhaps one of the most beautiful things found in Scripture. Amen? How beautiful, verse 18, 
Now where there is remission of these, there's no longer an offering of sin. You see, if God doesn't forget your sin, then you'd be paying for it still. But God has forgotten your sin. It's not that he can't remember it. It's not that his mind went blank like mine does occasionally. God chooses in his sovereign will to no longer remember your sin. Even though if he wanted, he could give you line by line details of every evil thing you have ever thought, said, and done. But he chooses not to. Because what he remembers is my son died for Jeff and shed his blood and I will remember his sins no more. Amen? That is what you should be thinking on. That is why your memory should not imprison you. That is why you don't have to walk in that jumbled mind that's trying to repay the price for your own sin. What Christ did on the cross is sufficient for all of your unrighteousness. You rest in that, church. You walk in that. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are walking with him as your Lord, if you have placed your hope and trust, your faith in him, your future is secure. You have nothing to fear. That's why his perfect love, the Bible plainly declares, cast out all fear, including the fear that somebody's going to remember your junk. God's not going to hold it against you. He remembers it not. He has perfect memory loss towards your sin. He doesn't have some degenerative disease. He has the utmost love to pour out upon your life because of what his son Jesus did for you on Calvary's cross. He says, Jeff has believed in me. I don't see his stuff anymore. I just see my son. I'm not going to ask Jeff to pay for that, that sin because my son already did. Jesus already paid the price for your sins. So you treat them as God has treated them. And that's not flippantly, by the way. That is, they have been forgiven. Walk in that forgiveness and in that newness of life. Amen? Would you stand with me? Amen. And we're going to thank God right now for his forgiveness. And I... I want to just simply ask you, if you're here today and you have not ever asked for the forgiveness of God, you must ask. It's not automatic. You, you don't get it just because God is good. God is good and God is good all the time, but you have to ask for that forgiveness. And if you haven't asked, you don't have it. He is faithful and just to forgive. That is true. And you're saved by grace through faith. That is also true. But you cannot save yourself. And the knowledge of that doesn't save you. It is faith that Jesus paid the price for your sin that saves you. Amen? So you have to believe by faith. 
And there's a reason I'm saying that. Don't trust in church. Don't trust in me. Don't trust in Calvary Chapel. Trust in the name of the Lord. And if you will invite him in, the Bible plainly says you will be saved. And so we're going to bow our heads and our hearts. And if you haven't done that, now is the time to invite Jesus into your life. And so we're going to pray. And for some of us, we're just simply going to repeat what we have already professed. And for some of you, you need to, for the first time, invite Christ into your life. So that your sins can be remembered no more by a holy God. Father, I declare, we declare, Jesus, you are my Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven our sins. That when you placed our name in that Lamb's book of life, that that name will not be blotted out. And so, God, we thank you for the salvation that we have because you, Jesus, died in our place on Calvary's cross. And we believe that the Holy Spirit that flung the stars into space raised you up. That you're seated right now at the right hand of God the Father making intercession and we pray right now Holy Spirit come and fill this place those that are watching online and Lord if there's one person here someplace out there in cyberspace that hasn't invited you in Lord that simple prayer is effective to save Jesus save those who desire to be saved right now Father for we who are saved Thank you that you remember not our sin. But there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That no weapon fashioned against us can prosper. That we want to know that height and breadth and depth of love that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, grow our faith. Grow us in holiness. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. And God's saved kids all say, Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.